Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Thursday, October 19th, 2023. All right, the first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, Biden backs Netanyahu's plans to invade Gaza. So President Biden was in Israel on Wednesday for a brief visit, and the Times of London reported that privately President Biden expressed backing for a ground invasion of Gaza during talks with Netanyahu. The report said that Biden told Netanyahu that he remained fully in support of Israel's plan to launch a ground incursion to eliminate Hamas despite all the outrage over the bombing of the Ali Arab Hospital in Gaza City that Israel is blaming on an errant Palestinian Islamic Jihad rocket, and the U.S. is now backing Israel's side of the story. We'll get more into that in another article here. Um, And Palestinian officials are still insisting it was an Israeli airstrike. So according to a report from Axios on the talks between Biden and Netanyahu, The primary message that Israeli officials expressed to President Biden was that the war in Gaza will take time and test U.S. support for Israel. So over 3,000 Palestinians have already been killed in Israel's onslaught of Gaza. The number is around 3,500 right now uh, and over 1,000 children, according to Gaza's health ministry. And that's since October 7th. Um, So not very long, and already that many people are dead. So you have to imagine a ground invasion is going to incur huge casualties, huge civilian casualties as well. So an Israeli ground invasion of Gaza appeared imminent towards the end of last week. It's kind of seemed imminent right after the Hamas attack, but it never came. Uh, It still hasn't happened. And there's reports that I covered that said Israel is worried about Hezbollah opening up a second front in the north. And this is a big concern uh, for escalation, you know, from our standpoint, uh, you know, the U.S. directly entering this thing, say Hezbollah attacked, launched a significant attack because there's still this fire going on uh, on the border. Hezbollah launched some strikes into Israel on uh, Wednesday. Israel launched more into Lebanon. Uh, but it's that's what it has stayed at, kind of a volley of rocket fire, no major attacks. If there's a major Hezbollah attack seems like the U.S. is going to directly intervene, and then who knows what this thing could turn into. So that Axios report said that while Biden was in Israel, he expressed concern to Netanyahu that Hezbollah might join the war. So that's something that the U.S. is uh, worried about, and they've been discussing a potential military response, you know, directly against Hezbollah. So again, it's just, this is something we really need to keep an eye on is this risk of escalation. And I think something we need to oppose is the U.S. directly entering this thing. All right. So the next one here, Netanyahu says Biden pledged to help continue the war on Gaza. So this story is kind of similar, but this is what Netanyahu and Biden were saying publicly during and after the talks. So after meeting with President Biden on Wednesday, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that he secured a pledge that the U.S. would help Israel continue its bombardment of Gaza. 
Netanyahu said, quote, we agreed on actions and deeds that ensure the continuation of our just war. We agreed on cooperation that will change the balance on all fronts and help us to achieve the war aims, end quote. Netanyahu also said that the U.S. and Israel, quote, are working together to secure the release of the hostages by all means possible, end quote. That's another thing that the U.S. has not ruled out, is sending troops into Gaza to help extract hostages. Uh, For now, they have decided that they're not going to do that, but the reports say it hasn't been ruled out. And Netanyahu also said that Israel has secured a massive, unprecedented military package from the U.S. So Biden made similar comments. He already, uh, when I wrote this article, he had already left Israel. He was there for about seven hours. Uh, But while he was there, he promised to ask Congress for an unprecedented support package for Israel's defense. And we know, uh, based on the New York Times report, also that Axios report said the same thing today, that the White House, that Israel has requested an additional $10 billion. And they want to put this all together with Ukraine and Taiwan aid and border spending. And now uh, on Thursday, President Biden is going to deliver a speech at 8 p.m. about Israel and Ukraine. So who knows what he's going to say in that speech. Um, So also on Wednesday, Benny Gantz, who's a former Israeli defense minister, he's now a minister in this new wartime government that they formed to deal exclusively with the war. Uh, He said that the war is going to last months, at least for months. He said, quote, it will take a long time. The war in the south and if need be also in the north or anywhere else might take months and the rebuilding will take years, end quote. So Biden delivered a speech when he was in Israel and said that the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel was worse than 9-11. He said, quote, since this terrorist attack took place, we have seen it described as Israel's 9-11. But for a nation the size of Israel, it was like 15 9-11s, end quote. And of course, the implication there is, you know, the response. Think about what the U.S. response to 9-11 was. So Biden urged Israel to show some caution in its response, saying that when you feel rage, do not be consumed by it. But while urging caution, the U.S. has also made clear that the aid to Israel is unconditional. This support for Israel is unconditional. They're not going to draw any red lines. You know, that's just the reality of, of this situation here. All right, so the next one. The U.S. backs Israel's claim that it did not bomb Gaza hospital. So Biden actually said this again while he was in Israel. Uh, He was talking to Netanyahu and he told him uh, that he, you know, believed their side of the story. So President Biden said, quote, based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team, not you. But there's a lot of people out there not sure, end quote. So he still leaves a lot of room for doubt there. Later in the day, the National Security Council said that, you know, based on preliminary intelligence or whatever, they also likely believe, you know, it wasn't Israel. So Israel is claiming that the blast at the hospital was caused by an errant rocket fired by Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And... They've shown some videos that purport to show a rock, a misfired rocket um, exploding in the air and then debris falling. 
You know, the thing that's hard to believe is that one of those small rockets or debris of the rocket caused so many casualties. Now, there's the, Israel's starting to doubt the casualties. The initial reports of the hospital blast said that 500 people were killed. Gaza authorities on Wednesday said that the death toll was 471. Um, now, I think the strongest thing for Israel's case is the aftermath of the bombing, is the pictures that surfaced on Wednesday morning. And it, they showed that the hospital was not leveled. I might have said last night, um, I assume that the hospital was totally destroyed, was leveled uh, like other buildings are in Israeli airstrikes, but the hospital is still standing. So I was wrong about that. Um, that's just, that was my assumption, uh, but I was wrong to assume that because the, the hospital is standing and the strike looks like it hit a parking lot. Now, if you look at the pictures, you see a lot of burned out cars, some flipped over, uh, but the, there's not much damage to the buildings in the area. So people are saying this means it couldn't have been an airstrike. You know, there's no crater. I think, you know, I'm not any sort of expert on what on these things. So I, I didn't I don't want to get too into the technical details here. Um, but the the high casualty rate is attributed to the fact that there were thousands of people at this hospital, according to the archbishop who's uh, in charge of the hospital and other hospitals in, in the region. There was about 5,000 people at one point taking refuge, sleeping outside, sleeping near the parking lot. And so that's why the death toll was so high. And so the authorities in Gaza are still saying the death toll is very high, 471. And the nonprofit that runs the hospital that fundraises for the hospital, the American Friends of the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem. I just saw they, they've they been putting out press releases and their latest thing says that over 400 civilians were killed in this attack. Um, so, I mean, that's the big question is if that death toll is right. And, you know, Israel's also put out some conflicting things. They said that it, it, at one point, they said the rocket was fired by a, a cemetery near the hospital, but then at another point, they showed a map that said the launch point was five kilometers away. They put out a recording that they claimed was two Hamas guys talking about it, saying that there was a misfired rocket fired from this cemetery. I saw Channel 4 News, which is a British uh, news station. They had a report on the evidence, and they said they spoke with experts, Arab uh people that spoke Arabic who said, based on the dialect, they didn't sound like Gazans. They believe it was a fake recording, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but that's basically what the situation is now. I think a big thing um, that the Palestinian side could do is if they had any remnants of whatever munition was used, would you, know, you would think that if it was clearly something that Israel uses, they would be able to show it. Um, but, you know, the thing about this that has gotten me annoyed is that I spent so much of my day trying to look at all this stuff and piece together and see if I could figure it out. And it's kind of distracting from the overall thing that's happening in Gaza and that thousands of people are being slaughtered by Israeli airstrikes. Um, whether or not this particular strike was launched by Israel, you know, there was more strikes throughout the day on Wednesday and, and into Thursday morning. So... Um, you know, the whole world is talking now about who might have done it. Well, not the whole world, because if you look at the Arab countries, you know, they're all convinced it was Israel, um, you know, and I think for good reason. So 
we'll see if any more definitive evidence comes out. I know, you know, the Western media, the mainstream media in the, in the U.S., the New York Times, AP, they are not saying it's conclusive. You know, they're not taking the Israeli side. They're saying it's inconclusive and nothing is confirmed. Um, one thing that, that bolsters the Palestinian side's case is the fact that this hospital was attacked a few days before um, by what they said, what the hospital owners said was an Israeli rocket attack. The New York Times said that they verified videos posted in the aftermath of this October 14th attack and that the video showed artillery shells that are fired from howitzers that these Palestinian groups don't have. So it and, and Israel does fire lots of artillery into Gaza as well as the airstrikes. So it looks like it was attacked by Israel on Saturday. And the archbishop, um, who's the head of the Episcopal Church in Jerusalem in the Middle East, which runs the hospital, said that hospital managers were warned by Israel three times since Saturday to evacuate. Now, the Israeli military actually admitted that they were telling them to evacuate the hospital. So that's kind of big. But they're claiming, oh, we're, we're, it's just part of our overall strategy to evacuate North Gaza. The hospital was never a target. But then at the same time, it was a target on Saturday. So anyway, let me know what you guys think. Again, you know, there's a lot of people talking about the the blast zone, you know, what, what it looks like in that parking lot. And it's just a rabbit hole I I can't really go into because I'm no expert on, any, on anything like that. Uh, but let me know what you think. All right. To get into the next story here, uh, we have live updates from Middle East Eye posted on the Gaza situation. Um, just to keep everybody uh, updated, if you uh, check the page, um, everything, sorry if you're watching the video, everything's running really slow for me for some reason. Um, so the latest thing, more violence in the West Bank. Israeli forces shoot dead a 21-year-old Palestinian. Oh, this is interesting. A senior State Department official resigns over Biden's approach to Gaza. So Josh Paul, who's a U.S. State Department official in the Political Military Affairs Bureau, has issued his resignation on Wednesday evening, citing the Biden administration's approach to the Israel-Palestine conflict. He said in a letter, quote, let me be clear, Hamas's attack on Israel was not just a monstrosity. It was a monstrosity of monstrosities, but I believe to the core of my soul that the response Israel is taking, and with it the American support both for that response and for the status quo of that occupation, will only lead to more and deeper suffering for both the Israeli and the Palestinian people, and is not in the long-term American interest, end quote. So good for him. That's interesting. I'll look more into that tomorrow and probably write something up uh, about him quitting. Um, it's good to see that at least there's some dissent within the U.S. government. All right, so the next one here, the U.S. vetoes a U.N. Security Council resolution for a Gaza pause. So this was on Wednesday. A Brazil uh, proposed a U.N. Security Council resolution that would have called for humanitarian pauses to allow the delivery of aid to Gaza. The U.S. was the only member of the Security Council to vote against the proposal, which is enough for a veto if any of the permanent members vote against something, that's it. Uh, it vetoes it. So nine out of 12 members voted in favor of the resolution while the UK and Russia abstained. Russia abstained because they said this resolution did not call for a ceasefire strongly enough. But so this is what the US is saying. So if you remember, I, I think I went over yesterday that the US and its allies voted against a Russian proposed uh, 
Security Council resolution for a ceasefire. And this, the reason that they did it is because it didn't condemn Hamas. At least that's what the U.S. said. Now the U.S. is complaining because this Brazilian resolution did condemn Hamas, and they still voted against it and vetoed it. Now the U.S. is complaining that it does not mention Israel's right of self-defense. So, again, you know, the U.N. security resolutions are kind of symbolic, but the fact that the U.S. This is typical of the U.S. covers for Israel at the U.N., um, but I think it just, you know, says a lot about the hypocrisy of the U.S., um, all right, so the next one here, Israel says that it will allow humanitarian aid from Egypt into Gaza. So this is something that Israel agreed to while President Biden was there. He was telling them basically that you have to let some aid in if you want to keep international support for your war in Gaza. So Gaza has been under a complete siege after Israel cut off electricity, food, fuel, and water uh, after the October 7th Hamas attack. The office of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that it approved the plan to let some aid in after a request from President Biden, who was in Israel on Wednesday. A senior Israeli official told Axios that, quote, Biden asked that Israel allow the entry of humanitarian aid to Gaza and explained it would help in maintaining international support for the operation against Hamas, end quote. So according to AP, Egypt actually needs to repair the roads across the border in Gaza that were damaged by Israeli airstrikes before any deliveries can happen. So that shows just how close to the border crossing Israel was bombing. And Biden said that an initial group of 20 aid trucks will be let in with which, you know, 20 trucks when you're talking about Gaza, which is populated by 2.3 million people. I mean... How much is that going to help, really? They really just need to lift this blockade. And, and you know, but that is going to start moving on Friday at the earliest, according to U.S. officials. So we'll see if Israel does uh, keep its word on this. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they didn't. Um, but in the meantime, Gazans are drinking contaminated water and many families have cut their food consumption to one meal per day leading to the UN warning about the risk of malnutrition and starvation. Um, so it's just a really bad situation for the people on the ground there. All right, uh, the next one here. Jewish groups lead capital protest calling for a Gaza ceasefire. So this is interesting. Um, you might have heard about protesters at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday and these protests were led by two Jewish groups, Jewish Voice for Peace, and If Not Now, you know, these are progressive groups against the Israeli occupation of the West Bank and the blockade on Gaza. Um, so they they enter the Cannon House office building, which is a congressional office just across the street from the U.S. Capitol building. And again, this is a group of Jews that were leading this, um, the people that were inside the building were wearing shirts that said not in our name and Jews say ceasefire now. So of course, uh, you know, a lot of people were falsely portraying them as pro Hamas supporters. Um, but obviously that's not the case. These are uh, peace groups um, and they just want to ceasefire. They want to see an end to this war. So the number of people who attended the protest is not confirmed. The Jewish Voice for, for Peace wrote on X, quote, while 500 Jews, rabbis, and descendants of Holocaust survivors 
chant, let Gaza live and get arrested inside. A crowd of 10,000 sings outside. We won't stop until our demands of a ceasefire are met, end quote. So they're saying 10,000 were outside, and it did look like at least a few thousand just based on the pictures that I saw. But um, the reports say that at least 100 demonstrators have been arrested by Capitol Police. The U.S. Capitol Police wrote on X that demonstrations were not allowed inside congressional buildings. So they warned protesters and then started arresting people. Um and the protest came the same day that Biden was in Israel. So I think it's good that we're seeing this many people protesting this, you know, the U.S. totally backing this onslaught of Gaza. <clears throat> um, you know, at least there's some opposition in the U.S. All right. And, you know, it's not just, you know, of course, people are always smeared as anti-Semites for opposing Israel, things that Israel does, but... When you have a Jewish groups leading it, you know, it's pretty hard to do that. Uh, all right. So the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. Drones fired at a at U.S. bases in Iraq. So this is, you know, a sign that things could start to escalate. So he put an update here. U.S. Central Command confirmed that three drones were fired at U.S. soldiers over 24 hours in Iraq. Two drones were successfully intercepted while one crashed and caused minor injuries to coalition forces. Um, So on the same day of this drone attack, several of Iraq's Shia militias announced plans to coordinate support for Gaza. And in western Iraq, two drones targeted the Al-Assad airbase. American officials say the drones were intercepted and reported no casualties. Um, That was initially. Now at least they're saying that there were some injuries and Kyle put a quote in here from Kateb Hezbollah last week. Now, it's not clear if they were the ones behind the drone attack, but they issued a warning that said, quote, our missiles, drones, and special forces are ready to direct qualitative strikes at the American enemy in its bases and disrupt its interests if it intervenes in this battle, end quote. So they're saying they'll, you know, do more if the U.S. intervenes. And there was also a second militia that claimed to have targeted U.S. soldiers at the Al-Harir base in northern Iraq. Um, And that was a statement issued by the Islamic resistance in Iraq on Telegram. So this is definitely an area where things can heat up, um, especially if the U.S. directly intervenes. We could pretty much guarantee that U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria are going to come under uh, attack. All right, the next one here is another one from Kyle, U.S. nuclear-capable bomber to land in South Korea for the first time in 30 years. So this is the latest U.S. provocation on the Korean Peninsula that the a U.S. B-52 bomber is going to land in South Korea sometime this week. And this is the first time in three decades that one of these bombers has uh, done that. And this comes um, amid, you know, tensions. It's just an area people haven't been paying attention too much in general, and now with this Gaza thing, even more so. But tensions continue to rise on the Korean Peninsula, and this is part of this is the U.S. strategy is to just deploy big weapons, bombers, nuclear armed submarines, as Biden did recently, uh, an aircraft carrier just docked there. You know, it's just provocation after provocation, and it's about North Korea, but it's also about flexing muscle near. Uh, China, that's definitely a big part of the strategy. All right, the next one here, the U.S. secures a Marshall Islands military deal. So this article is from the South China Morning Post. 
So recently I covered um, the U.S. has these compact of free association agreements with the Marshall Islands, with Micronesia and Palu. These are all Pacific Island nations. And they were expiring this year. The U.S. successfully negotiated extensions with Palu and Micronesia, but the one with Marshall, the Marshall Islands lapsed for a few weeks. But now uh, it looks like they have clinched a deal. The big issue was the Marshall Islands wanted more compensation for the nuclear testing that the U.S. did in the 40s and 50s and destroyed their beautiful islands and you know knew that certain areas were full of radiation and let people go back and live there anyway. Really horrific stuff. Um, but under this deal, the U.S. is giving the Marshall Islands $2.3 billion over 20 years. And I think the big sticking point was they, they were willing to give the money, but they didn't want to say it was for, for nuclear cleanup because there was some lawsuit that was settled a few decades ago for um, not nearly enough money to clean up. Um, but Anyway, so the big thing about these deals with the Marshall Islands, Palu, and Micronesia is that the U.S. gives them aid. Uh, The people that live there are able to travel to the U.S. There's other arrangements like that. And in return, the U.S. has military access. And the U.S. says that they can deny other nations from entering their territory. So the U.S. viewed this as very key to the strategy against China in the region. They didn't want to lose these, these islands where they could control uh that they can control and it's a pretty huge swath of the pacific ocean that makes up these three uh nations which are you know archipelago um nations all right so the last one here is a poll from ap nork and it says that the majority of americans say the afghan war was not worth it um so this isn't really a surprising poll considering how things have gone uh you know how the withdrawal went and everything um But it says that two-thirds say the American war in Afghanistan was not worth fighting, and most say the U.S. was unsuccessful in our foreign policy goals in Afghanistan. Only 22% say the U.S. was successful during the war in improving opportunities for Afghan women. Um, 74% still view advancing the rights of Afghan women as an important policy goal. Less than a quarter say the U.S. was successful in achieving their other foreign policy goals, such as helping develop a functional Afghan government. Obviously, they didn't do that. Only 16% of people said that they did. Um, 41% view Afghanistan as an enemy, and another 42% says it is unfriendly, while only 14% say it is an ally or a friendly nation. Um, But definitely the interesting point here is that they do not, you know, the majority, two-thirds of Americans, think that the Afghan war was not worth fighting. Um, all right, so that is it for the news for today. Please go check out our viewpoints. We have one from William J. Astore, 6,000 bombs in six days, and that's referring to the bombs Israel dropped on Gaza. The Gathering Storm of Rage by Andrew P. Napolitano, Judge Knapp. One from Greg Mitchell, as new nuclear dangers emerge, a look back at Cuban at the Cuban Missile Crisis. One from Kim Robinson, Rage and the Meme Effect. One from James W. Carden, do we really need another special relationship? Uh, but that is everything for me. You could always support us by sharing the show, liking, subscribing on YouTube or wherever you prefer to watch. Tell your friends about antiwar.com. Follow us on Twitter and all that. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. One more show for the week. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, all right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.